Welcome to InstructureCast, the podcast where we open the doors to a world of educational marvels. Formerly known as Canvas Casters, we've embraced the bigger picture to now include the dynamic portrait of InstructureCast's support of the entire educational ecosystem. Whether you're a teacher, student, administrator, or just an education enthusiast, we've got something special for you. Join us as we dive into the heart of learning. From K-12 to higher ed, we'll explore the human side of education, elevating and acknowledging all of the amazing things you bring to our community. And speaking of community, when you're looking for even more amazing content advice and lively discussions, head on over to our very own Instructure community. And don't forget, find us on your favorite social platform, subscribe to the podcast, and share the knowledge with your fellow educators. Together, let's create an unstoppable community of lifelong learners. So grab your coffee, find a comfy spot, and let's embark on this enlightening journey together. Welcome, everyone, to the Instructure Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Melissa Lobel. So excited to be here with you. And we have an exciting episode planned to dig into competency based education. But before I go there, hey, Ryan, happy to have you join Hello, us. Hello, Ryan Lufkin, your, your co-host. And yes, this is a this is one of those uh, episodes I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, you know, it's something that we've kind of looked at over the last couple of years. I've spent a lot of time doing research. But before we start and introduce our guest, uh, I want to throw out uh, some stats. So 39 million Americans started but never finished a college degree. I think that's one of the Wild. most, yeah, it's credible. And, and right now we've talked about in the past that it's such a binary experience. Uh, you either graduate or you don't, right? And that leaves a lot of people with not a lot to show for that partial. And, and as we talk about the larger enrollment decline for traditional four-year degrees, that's often cited as one of those reasons, right? Oh, yeah. And it's becoming, a, I imagine, more acute problem um, year after year as people are choosing alternative paths to their futures. Absolutely. So one of the things that we see college universities turning to is an increase in competency-based education, right? Uh, CBE, as it's often called. Yeah, CBE's been around for a long time, but we've all debated what is it and what role it has. And it's it's lately, it really seems to have a pretty significant role in these, again, non-traditional experiences. Yeah, we spent, we spent a lot of time a couple of years ago, actually, just trying to define what is competency-based education, sometimes called mastery-based education, sometimes called you know different terms. And so just defining what it is, because it means so many different things to different people, was a challenge. We wrote a paper, I think it's been almost three years, uh, really just trying to define and draw a line on what what is uh, what entails competency-based education. Yeah, and speaking of that, um, Ryan, I think we have some cool stats on how many institutions in the U.S. have adopted CBE. Yeah, uh, as of 2020, 128 institutions uh, have adopted 851 undergraduate and 206 graduate CBE programs, which is actually far more than I thought existed out there. I did too. That's amazing. And what's really interesting is we're seeing quite a few of our customers either step into the CBE waters or they've become true experts on CBE and are really paving the way. So Ryan, I have an exciting guest for us as a result of that. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So Amanda <laughs> Sessions is joining us. Amanda is one of our strategic customer success managers. But more than that, she works very specifically with our incredible customers looking to 
be the leaders in competency-based education. So Amanda, so happy to have you with us. Hey, Welcome, would you mind? Amanda. Yeah. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about what you do and how you ended up at Instructure? <laughs> Absolutely. So thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talking about one of my favorite subjects, CVE. Um, but my name is Amanda Sessions. I've been with Instructure for a little over four years now, working as a higher ed customer success manager. Uh, prior to that, I actually came from the world of K-12. So I was an elementary school teacher. I taught both fifth and sixth grade, and I also did some instructional coaching with my district. So uh, I've definitely been in the education space for a while. And funny enough, I actually helped pilot standards-based grading at my school. So nice. kind of been in this realm for quite some time, but it's been really interesting to see how to transition it from a K-12 elementary school space now mm -hmm. up into what we're seeing with the higher ed components. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to be thinking about too. And we'll probably touch later on in the conversation, but it is a little different how we think about CBE in the K-12 space versus the higher ed space. And I love that background that you've had to to think about how do you support our higher education customers in particular. I'm curious, and Ryan, I, I hope this is okay with you, but we're going to start a little tradition here as we have guests <laughs> on our podcast. We're going to ask a couple of fun questions just to get to know folks. So Amanda, here's my first one for you. What's one of your favorite classroom moments? You know, I still think some of my favorites is when I would have my older students come back and visit me because that is just, even though it's not necessarily in the classroom, but when they come back to see you and just talk to you, even if it's just to say hi, it's just impactful. And I always feel like I should go visit my elementary school teachers because I know how much it meant to me. <laughs> and so just being able to see them and hear about, you know, their favorite moment or or seeing, hearing about them graduating now, which is so crazy and, and just being proud that I was part of that journey for them. So that's I, one of my favorite things. <laughs> I love that. So side note, um, my husband was a high school teacher for 12 years, and he's kept in touch with one of his students who happened to be coming through Utah a couple weeks ago, and we got to see her. She's in her 30s now, off on her, her career, but watching that connection between the two of them and how much you could tell um, they learned even from, from one another and how inspired they are, that was super cool. So I can absolutely see Amazing how that would that be yeah. oh yeah so cool okay i have one more fun question <laughs> and then we're going to dig into cb <laughs> all right hey what do you do when you're not working what are some of your passions i have an issue with too many hobbies um one of them <laughs> this year actually involves starting to foster dogs so i had a litter of eight puppies and their mom plus my dog and cat all living in my townhouse until they were ready wow. for adoption. So yeah, my neighbors uh, really loved all the noise for a little bit there when they started. Yeah, yeah. my beagle uh, has been a guest on the show previously, I think, with uh, you know unintended noises in the background, so I can only imagine. Yes. Well, so definitely and, awesome, but very uh, rewarding and exhausting experience. Oh yeah, I can only imagine. And Ryan, I think you are you are also uh, a bit of a, a king in the world of too many hobbies. I'll, I'll, I'll cue that up and in a future podcast. We're going to dig into one of those hobbies. And I, excellent. Yes. Looking forward to it. Good, good, good. Well, let's jump into competency-based education again, Amanda. Thanks for letting us get to know you. Do you mind? Let's just kind of start at the beginning and, and talk just a little bit about what competency-based education is mm -hmm. and what are some of the benefits for students in the institution? Yeah. And even, even as we were doing the research, we did see that there was a there were differences in the definition of CBE for K-12 and higher ed. So tell us a little bit about how that differs as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the million dollar question is what is CBE? Because no matter who you ask, whether it's higher ed between two different higher ed institutions or between K-12 and higher ed, it's going to be different no matter what. Mm -hmm. So I think some of the, the biggest definitions of what CBE is, is that it's really learner focused. So no matter who the learner is, we're focusing it around their specific education journey. A lot of times it's personalized. So we're looking at ways to make it feel like it's very valuable for them. And also that it's relevant. Even in a K-12 experience, how are you going to use this in your future? Why is this something that you should care about learning? And then as we get into higher ed, it's how are we going to use this to be successful in our careers? So I think that's the biggest thing is just keeping it relevant and keeping it focused on the learner. That's amazing. One of the one of the things that uh, we talked a little bit about is that flexibility, right? Knowledge of prior learning as a starting point, building on that to to understand, you know, what do you already know, and how do we get to you to full competency in that skill? Um, tell us a little bit more about how uh, that differs between higher ed and K twelve, maybe. Yeah. So when we were experiencing it in in K twelve, you know, it's really just about the standards. So very specific to this is this, you know, particular math standard where you need to learn to understand ratios. You've got, yeah, really clear goals with those state level yes, standards, Yes, very right? clear, very laid out. And also very uniform across the board. You know, everyone is kind of adopting these common core standards. So we do see consistency, but identifying the ones that are going to be the most essential for the learner and actually having them track it themselves. That was probably one of the most mm. impa uh, impactful things that I experienced was having the students engaged in their own learning and having them see their journey towards mastery. And I think the same thing applies in higher ed. The standards just might be more geared towards their chosen um, skill they're trying to learn or towards their chosen career, but still giving them the opportunity to, to see how they're learning and get that feedback so that they can improve. I love that student-centered approach. Mm -hmm. I think so much of as we look at how best to serve the student of the future, they're asking to be at that center. And if they're not, they need guidance to understand why it's so important to be at the center, to control your journey, to think about your learning path. As you think about some of the institutions that you currently work with, what kinds of, in higher education in particular, how are they doing that? What are some examples perhaps of how they're putting the student at the center of their programs and are they seeing success with that? Yeah, there's a ton of different institutions that are doing some really cool things, but we have a couple that I wanted to highlight, and we actually have case studies on our website that we'll include in the show notes as well. One of them right here in Utah, uh, Utah State University actually launched a program back in 2019, and it was with a company called Northrop Grumman, and they let their employees actually turn their workplace skills into a degree. So they used um, Canvas Outcomes, which is kind of what we use as the basis for CBE. And that's where you're really going to define what it is that students need to achieve throughout the course or throughout the program. But they really relied on both Outcomes and SpeedGrader. And so that, that just made it easy for both the instructors and for the students to see exactly what it is that they were supposed to be knowing how to do and actually turn that, their skills into a degree. And I think one of the coolest things that I read in that study was that um, one of the instructional designers said, if you are actually using outcomes, you're forcing your teachers to think, what does real mastery look like? Where do you set that and how do you assess it? And that's such an important question of, you know, both the instructor and the learner have to have that clear goal of how am I going to demonstrate this? And it should not be any sort of a guessing game, but very clearly laid out. What is it they're expected to do and how are they going to demonstrate that? 
Yeah, one of those important things that you just mentioned working with, you know, a higher education organization working with a private company is addressing that skills gap, right? They had a very specific skills gap that they needed to close and they were able to work with uh, Utah State University to uh, design a program specifically around that, right? Yeah, really, really cool. And then the other one that is um, are a little bit newer, but Chafee College has actually been working with Outcomes for quite some time. And they wanted to tie that into credentials or badges that they could actually give the students to be able to use. So they worked with our custom dev team and actually created a tool that will automatically award those micro-credentialing badges as the students complete each outcome and show mastery. So that was pretty cool to kind of see the connection between you're mastering your outcomes and you're also earning a badge for achieving that. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk a little bit more about credentials. It's one of those, we spent a lot of time talking about that, but I, I want to link the two worlds together a little bit. Mm -hmm. But for folks that may not understand uh, at a very fundamental level, what's the difference between a traditional uh, program and a CBE program? How would you outline that for them? So the biggest difference I would say is flexibility. You know, in a traditional college setting, it's very rigid. It's seat-based. So it's depending on how many credit hours you take and how many um, hours you spend in that class per week. It's generally a checklist of requirements. You know, you have to go through your generals. You have to go through certain classes and pass those classes. When we get into a competency-based education program, it's very flexible. Again, it's centered around that student and it's specifically targeting skills that they need to show mastery and having a real world application for it. So another big thing is being able to just take what they're learning and go straight into the workforce without feeling like there is that skills gap. That time to completion piece, mm -hmm. that flexibility there, we're seeing across higher education changes even at the state level in the U.S., um, outside of this at the country level, where there's an encouragement for people to get degrees more quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're seeing initiatives around we're going to have a certain set of degrees that you can do in three years or two years. Part of that is the cost of a traditional degree. And part of that is value realization. How can we get a learner to a place where they're able to go into the workforce more quickly and see the value that they brought, they, they were able to gain from the, the degree that they earned? I'm curious because we're seeing some of these initiatives start to bubble up. As institutions are looking to figure out how do we do CBE, do you have any tips and tricks? It could be any, you know, any advice you have as they're starting to get into the CBE world for how they might think about it, especially if they're trying to address that flexibility that you've described mm -hmm. and the, the quicker to degree kind of path. Yeah, so when we start to look at CBE, since we said there's really no clear definition and it's really hard to define what it is, we actually rely a lot on the Competency-Based Education Network, which is a great group that does put out kind of some guidelines that you can start with. So they really have four underlying principles that they recommend if you are looking into a CBE program. So the first one is what we were just saying, credentials are earned through mastery and not seat time. So it's really important that we look at a way to figure out exactly the skills the students need and work to address those. Another big part of it is not requiring them to take courses on something that they already have mastery of. So how do we give them the opportunity to demonstrate that and maybe skip ahead a little bit and they can actually work towards graduating a little bit quicker? I mentioned a little bit of outcomes, but I'll talk a bit more about that because that truly is the foundation 
of how you can use a CBE model within Canvas. When you are looking to start with outcomes, you really want to think about it as are these institution outcomes, are these program level outcomes, or are they course level outcomes? And you can have goals that are set at any one of those levels. So it's really cool to see how different institutions are actually outlining what they want students to achieve in a single course or in a single program, or if they do have overall institution goals and tracking those using the outcomes tool. Another one that really helps to address the need to provide students a way to demonstrate if they already know something is Mastery Pass. So Mastery Pass is one of my favorite things I discovered in Canvas when I first started using it, but it actually allows you to provide an assessment to students and then based on how they perform or score, you can provide differentiated assignments. So it's really individualized to the learner based on their prior knowledge that they're able to demonstrate. So I think those are a couple kind of the key components to think through for that first one, where we're talking about mastery, not necessarily just seat time is how can we be flexible? I love that. And I would love to dig into a couple of the others too, that this is CBEN. And for those mm -hmm. of you not involved in CBEN, but you are interested in CB, I highly recommend they have great resources yeah. and a great conference. I believe it's coming up pretty soon. So I encourage you to go check that out. And speaking of resources, because I wanted to highlight this, Amanda has been the author of a collection of resources within our own community site. So we'll make sure there's a link to those. But as she's giving some of these tips and tricks and approaches, uh, know that we've got great resources for you out there to get a little more in depth with after this as well, as you're thinking about CBE. But please, Amanda, continue. There, I know there's a couple of other of those CBEN um, principles that, that we should highlight. So first one, again, mastery through seat time. Second one is that the time it takes to demonstrate mastery is dictated by each student. So again, one student might need to take multiple attempts. One student might already have the knowledge that they need to move on. So it's really identifying where that learner is and just providing them their own customized path. I do think mastery pass is one of the best tools to do that because you're making it automated and it just makes it a very seamless process for students to go through. Um, another big thing is just providing multiple opportunities for the student to demonstrate mastery. So we have the opportunity or the option to calculate how their overall mastery is going to be achieved. So if you're going to give them five attempts, how do you want their final score to actually be counted towards did they achieve mastery? And it's pretty cool. We think I think we're up to six now different ways that you can calculate it. So we have the decaying average. We have highest score, most recent. So it's really up to an institution of how they want to do that. But it does allow you to provide those multiple opportunities for students to show mastery. I think it's such a timely uh, conversation that we're having because, you know, post-COVID, we see the same thing in the workplace, right? Butts in seats uh, as a, as a <laughs> term is no longer the right way to measure uh, productivity and outcome. And students want that same flexibility in in um, the, the education space. And we're seeing a lot of, in fact, I love that uh, Melissa... Uh, you know, mentioned the competency-based education network in their event. I think uh, Jason Richter from our team is actually presenting uh, on, uh, you know, the conversation, bringing the conversation between credentials and CBE together, because I think that's, credentials are really the way to show that you've accomplished these skills and track these skills. It can be presented in a much more granular way than maybe a traditional degree program, right? I'll actually be presenting at that conference as well on just Canvas and, and uh, CBE. So I'm excited to to hopefully see some people there and see the rest of Jason's presentation. Yeah, and I know that like some of the features, you know, like course pacing. Uh, I think we mm -hmm. work directly with Salt Lake Community College and some other institutions to really build that ability to 
not just work on a traditional semester model, yeah. uh, but break out your timing, right? Yeah, course pacing is really cool because as a student enrolls into a course, they do not all have to enroll at the same time. So you get those flexible start times and as instructors can just go in and set, you have two weeks to complete this assignment. And then from then on, you know, another week to complete the next assignment. So it's really cool that not all the students have to be moving at the same pace, but they can all be in the same course and it still makes it very easy for the instructor to manage. Yeah, exactly that flexibility. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of pacing, if it's okay, Ryan, I'm going to take that credentials um, comment that you made and take that a little further. What's interesting um, from a higher education trend perspective, and I think we're seeing this in K-12 as well to a certain degree, is that um, there's a movement for recognition of skill award yes. while you're along your path, right? Again, to that whole, we want to get people um, moving through programs and degrees more quickly. We also want to acknowledge people as they're building these skills and competencies, because not everybody takes a straight line path. Some yeah. people zigzag, they go, they spend a year, they spend, or they do a couple of courses and then they go back into the workforce and then they come back and they, they sort of make this yeah. very non-linear kind of path. And that's where credentials really sits in that. And Ryan, I know you've done some work with credentials. What are you seeing some of our institutions do as they're trying to map to this sort of zigzag path? Yeah, we've seen a lot of schools uh, offering that incremental credit, right? So even if a student uh, doesn't stay for the full four years or two years, uh, they walk away with credentials that, you know, they're, they've moved along a path and they can show their potential employers that credit. And also making it easier for those students to re-engage with those traditional learning paths. And then even if they've accomplished a a uh, four-year degree to come back and reskill and upskill. You know, the the work we've done with the Stanford Longevity Project really shows we're we're going to be living much longer lives. We're going to be having encore careers, and we need to be able to develop skills for that next step in our lives. And you know, competency-based education. Wow, if I could if I could go in and get proof for the knowledge I already have, and then you know, incrementally move forward with that. What a powerful tool for adult learners. Yeah. What are you seeing, Amanda, with some of the institutions that you work with? Are they using credentials in that same way? Yeah, I've seen some really interesting ones, especially like you're saying, they build on each other. So yeah. you might get a, a small batch for completing a specific skill in a course. And as you move through all your courses, you're accumulating these smaller badges. And at the end, you get the, the grand finale badge where it's really demonstrating everything that you've learned throughout this program. And I think that's really cool to be able to take it with you then as you know, your, your learner record that you mm -hmm. can take and show here's all the skills that I did and actually demonstrate it that I know how to do them. Yeah, that's amazing. One of the things that um, I was in a conversation with an institution most recently, it was actually a collection of institutions, a consortium, and they were also talking about how it exposes their articulation agreements. So by creating, by using outcomes, just as you described, and then starting to align outcomes and skills to badges, they're now realizing across their 20 institutions, oh, this other institution offers the same thing I do. Mm -hmm. However, they offer it a couple of times a year when I don't. We should actually trust that. That can actually be embedded in this program. And we're creating more and more flexibility for that learner, just like you described at the beginning, Amanda. So I think there's, it's not even just that accumulation, although that's really powerful over time, but it also can be reflective for institutions to understand what does it take to build these skills and how can I work with other institutions, perhaps in my own state, my own country, a consortium, a, you know, how can I think about giving students even more options? Because once again, it just builds that connection back in and retains that learner. Yeah. 
we also we had a great panel at InstructureCon specifically around as we moved to more skills focused, right? This this uh, competency based model that you're talking about, Amanda. How do we make sure we don't lose sight of those soft skills, those those skills that have always been built into a traditional bachelor's program? Now we're looking at certificate programs that are based on these CBE approaches. How do we make sure that we don't lose the ability to work together with people different from us and evidence based decision making and things like that? Um, an incredible panel. I'll go plug. I think it's recorded out there somewhere. But you know, what's your what are your thoughts on that, Amanda? How do we make sure that we create those those whole students, uh, those whole those whole people uh, in the future, like we have in the past? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially because we are seeing CBE more in a traditionally online space. And so there is that worry of, are we going to lose kind of some of those skills? And I think the most important thing is feedback is one, giving that formative feedback throughout the process so that the instructor is really providing those opportunities to grow. I think that's going to be essential for any program. And also if you apply it to real world application, I mean, if they're actually having to go out and demonstrate a skill and whether it's recorded or have to submit something back, we can still go out and achieve those soft skills and have them link back to a CBE model. I think we just have to get creative a little bit in how we address this specifically in an online space. I, that creativity is essential. Um, I'll, I'll nerd out for just a second. When we think about how we teach and as an instructor that's um, facilitating an environment that's competency-based, one of the things you can really think about is taking perhaps a project or a deliverable that demonstrates those skills Mm -hmm. and then also having that feedback, just like you described, demonstrated as well. What, you know, show not just the work you did. So I, in a course I teach, I have students build a storyboard for instructional design, but then I also want to see the exchange you had with colleagues on feedback on that project. So then you can get a sense of that soft skill, right? That collaboration, that feedback-oriented soft skill still while delivering the hard skill, which is the ability to deliver a high-quality storyboard that designs a particular task. Mm -hmm. So I think you can do that. I love that. Um, and, And that's just maybe a little bit of guidance for those instructors and teachers out there listening to this as well. Like, how do I think about what are my skills in my course? How I line those potentially to badges? And then how does that fit into a competency-based framework? Yeah, as much as I absolutely hated recording myself as a teacher, I think that was one of the best exercises that you could ever do is recording it, watching yourself, reflecting on it and sharing it with your professor or whoever it was and actually going through that. I mean, that that's going to be something essential and you can still accomplish in an online space. So we talked a little bit about resources, right? And I think that's one of the things we always get uh, asked about is, I love the conversation. Give me something I can go, like, what's my next step? What can I go do? How do I put this into practice? And I know you've got some of those you want to share. I'd love you to kind of talk through that. Yeah, so we actually created a space in the Canvas community called the Competency-Based Education. And really, we've narrowed it down to a collection of guides and resources that are going to be most applicable to CBE. So if you go in the community, you might be overwhelmed. It's amazing. And it has so much information. So much information. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. But we've taken kind of the most applicable ones and moved them down into a smaller space. So it's hopefully a little bit less overwhelming. And we do link all of our case studies there. Anything new that's coming out, we have a discussion space that we would love to see some more conversations happening. It's still a little bit newer. So I don't know how many people are fully engaged in that yet, but we would love to start seeing some conversations happening between institutions of sharing what they're doing for CPE and how we can have more of a collective area for information. 
If you had to give folks one tip on how to get started, like how to just take that first step, you know, we, we talk about AI sometimes and how sometimes it's yeah. great about just helping us put words on the page, that blank page and taking that first step. Uh, but how, what would you give them as that tip for like, just, just getting started? Outcomes. I think outcomes is the one thing that you, you want to look at, you know, and, and just getting started with defining what are your programmatical outcomes? What is it that you want students to actually have when they walk away from this program? Because once you have that definition, I think you can dive a lot more into some of these really cool tools and features. That's amazing. I think this conversation is just the first of many that we'll be having as we watch both K-12 and higher ed continue to embrace CBE and have it almost become part of some of the foundational models out there for addressing a learner that isn't looking for a traditional degree path. It's exciting to see that. And I think we'll be wanting to learn from one another as a community more and more as these programs become more prominent and more people are experimenting. So this, these insights were just so valuable today, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you with us. (laughs) Um, it sounds like, um, you know, Ryan, you too, you've got some really great resources in Embed out there. So we'll make sure those not only get added to the community, but, you know, Jason's presentation, will make sure everybody gets a chance to, yep. to take a look at that and some of the other great resources. But thank you so much for your time today, Amanda. Absolutely. Thank you. It was great to talk about it. And thank you guys for letting me come join you. Yeah, and and for our listeners, uh, we always love feedback. If you have if you have insights into CBE we didn't cover, if we need to do a follow up episode, if you have other topics, uh, give us a shout. Let us know uh, because we, we really want to you know talk about those topics that are are right. CBE is obviously one that's on everybody's minds right now, um, but but we we always love the feedback. Yeah, so thanks everyone. Keep tuning in to the Instructure Cast. We look forward to having you listen in and taking that feedback Ryan mentions and incorporating it into future shows. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of InstructureCast. We're grateful to have you as part of our vibrant community of teachers, educators, administrators, and education enthusiasts. Don't forget to find us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and share the ed love with your fellow educators. Together, we'll keep igniting that spark of inspiration, celebrating the art of teaching, and embracing the heart and soul of learning. And remember, the Instructure community is the heartbeat of our adventure, where more amazing content, valuable advice, and lively discussions await you with like-minded individuals who share your passion for education. As we wrap up this episode, we hope you're inspired to keep grooving, learning, and making a difference in the lives of your students and peers. We're so excited to hear about your new adventures. Make sure to take us with you.